there's been a kerfuffle. And you know how much I love kerfuffles. And it's in the Southern Baptist Convention and Evangelicalism more broadly. I'm going to talk about that with a guest, and we'll talk about more on this week's edition of the Corey Truax Show. Stick with me. like when there's a controversy because controversies are sort of fun and this one actually has some important stuff in it so we're going to start there in a moment on the Corey Truax show but first my name is indeed Corey Truax I'm dedicated to smarter deeper better talk about everything here on the Corey Truax show thank you for listening on Christian talk nope sorry that's wrong his radio talk sorry Gary his radio talk 91.9 and 92.9 also wherever you're listening to the podcast I'm grateful thank you and if you would be so kind as to share the show with others I'd be really thankful for that, too. I also get the awesome opportunity to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beechwood Church. And Beechwood meets at 1030 on Sunday mornings right between Greenville and Easley. You're invited but at 1030. You can actually come early if you want. 1030 Sunday mornings uh, right there between Greenville and Easley. It's Beechwood Church. Speaking of Beechwood Church, I'm going to be joined in a minute by the lead pastor, the pastor for preaching and vision. Before I bring him in, though, let me give you the facts of the case that we're going to discuss and then we're going to discuss it for maybe all the show or some part of the show. There was a big conference last week. Todd Friel, who actually does broadcast here on his radio talk, you can find his show, and he's awesome. He was hosting a panel discussion with John MacArthur, who I love. I've learned a lot from. He pastors a gigantic church out in Los Angeles. Also on the panel was one of his right-hand men. Uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, but he was on the, on the panel, and Todd Friel does a word association thing where he says, I'm going to give you a name or a, a word, and you react to it. So here's the so here's where that led to. Todd Friel said Beth Moore. And so John MacArthur, a little, little more salty than I like, said go home, is what he said to Beth Moore. If you don't know Beth Moore, she's a she's a woman who goes around teaching and preaching. It is Phil Johnson. Thank you, Doug. It lets me know it's Phil Johnson that was also on that panel discussion. And that launched into, when he said Beth Moore, go home, a longer discussion where he starts talking about the Southern Baptist Convention and uh, voting on a resolution that we did back in June that we were called Resolution 9, that we were letting something called critical race theory and uh, and, uh, and intersectionality start to interpret the Bible and, and using that instead of Scripture. And so, because that five or so minutes of audio from him has gone fairly viral in the Christian world, I want to address it, and I want to, want to address that with one of the smartest guys I know. He's my big brother and pastor. His name is Doug Truax. Hi there, sir. Hello. All right, so here we go. I want to start with Resolution 9 and how John MacArthur said, i just get you to respond to this. John MacArthur says, we went to Alabama and we had a vote where we said the culture out there says intersectionality and critical race theory is how we should interpret the Bible and the SBC, you, uh, with a big number voted, said absolutely. We should let that speak over scripture. Yeah, that that was a huge problem. I actually had to go back and reread Resolution 9 because when men like John MacArthur speak, you want to stand up and listen and make yes. sure that, that they're not actually right in, in what they're saying. Because I was there at convention and I actually did vote along with you for Resolution 9 for the, its passage. So I wanted to read the, the text of that thing. And nowhere in what we passed does it say that we are uh, calling for or allowing for uh, intersectionality and uh, critical race theory to ever take precedence over the Bible or even be used as a tool to exegete the scriptures. In fact, over and over and over again, the authority of the scriptures is is reaffirmed as our first, uh, last, only uh, rule of faith in all things. And the only language that actually says uh, critical race theory and, and, and intersectionality can be used as useful tools is actually, in, and maybe if we're going to use the word exegesis, in the exegesis of the culture and of yeah. our human experience and sort of understanding the dynamics of what goes on uh, in American life, in Western life, and how we uh, relate to one another. That's how people, at least the, the Resolution 9 allows for us to, to use it biblically, uh, but it's always putting the Word of God over that thing and saying no intersectionality and, and critical race can never interpret Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture, and it is our final authority. So he, he, he just flat out misrepresented what Southern Baptists passed and the yeah. guards that were, we were trying to put in place with Resolution 9. If you're listening to this and unfamiliar with those terms, intersectionality is this thing out primarily in the university world that says you find meaning, you're more of a person by all of the points of 
uh, the, the ways in which you've been disadvantaged. And so the African-American person is disadvantaged, but the African-American lesbian is three-time disadvantaged because of race, gender, and, uh, and sexuality. And so they, that's something that the world has come up with. And, but in that resolution several times, it actually specifically says... All things are submitted to Scripture. There's even problems with critical race theory and intersectionality, but we want to use what we can use. But uh, John MacArthur also said this. He said, but even right after the convention, they had a other conference. And there were some Southern Baptists who said, on a translation committee, we needed to have an Hispanic and a woman and an African American. So don't you see what's happening with Resolution 9? It feels like he might have conflated the two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm certainly... If if that happened, and I, I'm not, I don't doubt I'm that sure. it happened. Yeah. Um. He then the, the SBC is wrong. Yes. Um. MacArthur was right on that. Translation is not an issue of of race or culture or gender or any any of those other uh, paradigms. He was right. Do you know biblical Hebrew? Do you know biblical Greek? Um. Are you qualified to actually translate a text? That that's the only criterion for entering into a committee Amen. to actually sit down and make a translation yeah. of the Word of God. We've got nothing to do with cultural biases and, and and gender norms or anything like that. So he's right on that. Sure, but it really has nothing to do with this issue of Resolution Nine. I think he was just bringing in the broader. He was what he thinks is the the broader corruption of the Southern Baptist Convention. We had like ten thousand people at the SBC. Some vast majority voted for Resolution 9. And then as bolstering his case, he was like, here's a couple people on a committee who said something I don't like. Right. Like you're, Those people don't represent the vast majority of the SBC. And so to clarify Resolution 9 as a framework for the rest of this discussion, he just has it wrong. I love John MacArthur. He just has Resolution 9 wrong right. on critical race theory and intersectionality and what we did. We went to Birmingham this year and did it. The thing that's gotten more attention has been what he said about Bethmore. And I, I specifically don't like his tone. My good friend Ross Estep, guy we both know, he said he didn't mind his tone at all with John MacArthur. I didn't like saying, go home. But uh, he, right after he says, of Bethmore, go home, he does say, there is no biblical case, no biblical evidence for women preachers. I just totally agree. Would you add to that or a comment on how he responded? All right, so... I think it's terribly unnuanced. Okay. Um, because what what I want to do in dealing with subjects like that uh, is is never fall short of what the scripture demands, um, and never put on to people what scripture does not demand. Yeah. And so this is one of those really careful areas where uh, I I think we've we've done damage to the church in, in at least in fundamental circles, fundamentalist circles, where we've not heard from uh, a God gifted women enough. We've not used them enough mm. um, in, in the life of the church. And so uh, I, I think we've hampered that uh, a lot in, in our churches. On the other, on the other side of that, we've, we've seen this overcorrection in the culture where, where now women are taking the pulpit on a Sunday morning, right. which is clearly a, a, a violation of what the Scripture permits. Uh, and so I want to be careful not to cross over that. So, so what the Bible actually gives us in, in Corinthians and in, in Timothy is this prohibition of, of women standing over men and teaching men in an authoritative position, preaching to men, preaching to the church, having this position of authority, especially of pastor, elder in a church. Those things are restricted uh, by God uh, for men only and not, and, and not just men in general but yes. a select group of men who are called to this, this particular task. And, right. and this is a gospel issue. This is, this is something that's rooted, that Paul roots in the very creation itself. It actually preaches something about the gospel, about the subjection of the church to Christ and Christ being the head over that church. This is not uh, about one gender uh, being uh, more capable than the other. There is something that is being preached by the very postures that we assume when we come into the house of God. And so I want to be very careful to, to limit our understanding of, of, of what this means for women in our churches, even as we express it. Because what the scripture does not say is women can't preach. Because women can preach to other women. Right. And women okay. can preach to our children. Women can preach the gospel in their workplaces. And, and so just to say there's no biblical case for women preachers is actually wrong. To say there's no biblical case for women elders and women pastors okay. and women preacher teachers in, in the context of the corporate assembly of the church, that's correct. But he didn't give a whole lot of nuance on that. Oh, and so right. I want to be careful uh, in our language. So you, <laughs> you, when you said a moment ago something about the— there's, there are women preachers. It felt like a punch to the gut. And I was like, wait, what? And then you immediately went to, yeah, because they teach women. And they preach to kids. And they can preach to each other. 
in which case, yeah, we, because we put all things with Scripture, to, I mean, we all submit all things to Scripture, well, then yes. So you don't have any discomfort in calling that a preacher. Like, I think there's some discomfort out there saying a woman who just preaches to women at preachers at women's conferences is still called a preacher. You don't mind that. You just wouldn't call him an elder or pastor. You wouldn't call him pastor or elder. Right. And the, the Bible gives us terms to use for these things. And if, if, if MacArthur is using his definition of a preacher to mean pastor, elder, then he's right. Okay. But it, that's, that's the problem here is we've got a very vagueness of terms being used. And if we're just using the word preacher for what it means, a proclaimer, yeah. um, well, there's nothing really to restrict that to only men. Uh, just only men in certain contexts. And to put some practicality on those theological bones. So to put some meat on those bones. So on a Sunday morning, a church assembled. W- w- this has happened in SBC churches. A pastor gets up and says, under my authority, Beth Moore is going to come preach to us right now. And here comes Beth Moore. Everyone says hi. And so what's your, I have a very strong opinion on this. What's your reaction to the church that does that? They're outside of the of Orthodox. I agree. <clears throat> yeah, she, totally. she is not permitted to to stand in that position of authority over the men of that congregation. Um, and that again for a gospel issue, not necessarily because she's not qualified to handle the word that she does not not because she doesn't know God as as, as richly or more richly than some of the men in that room, but simply because there is something being conveyed uh, by how God made us and and us assuming these po- postures of of teacher and 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 listener under a teacher and this this whole idea well, well she's not really in authority over the congregation the elders are in authority over I, I don't see that scripture doesn't give us the option of seeing a person who teaches without authority yeah if we're teaching the truth we're teaching the word we're teaching with authority because yes. we are saying every time we stand up on a sunday morning you and, you and me we're saying we're not the authority right the word of god is the authority and we stand here with authority only so long as we stand in the word of god yeah I had some, one of the more common responses when I talk about this is, but she's so gifted, but I know this woman who is so good, to which I just always want to respond, well, that's not, it's not relevant right. to whether or not we should, because there are unqualified men who are so good at it, right? They can stand up, they're compelling, they're interesting, they might even have the theology right, possibly, but they're just not qualified, not because we don't like them, but because that's not... That's not what Scripture allows. And for your listeners who will actually go back and listen to that Q&A with Todd Friel and John MacArthur, John actually deals with that. He, he actually says if you're a good salesperson and you're good with talking to people and you're good yes. at selling something, that does not necessarily equate to you are called to preach right. and to be a teacher in the church. Um, and furthermore, just to, make, just to put that nuance back in there, a woman may be gifted by God to preach and teach the gospel. Yeah. But how she goes about that and where she does that is important to how God made us. That she exercises that calling to other women is an important task that, she yeah. needs, that needs to be embraced, and the church suffers when she doesn't do that. Yep. Um, and so uh, I would say God does gift women to preach and to teach, but there's a proper context but the for definitions it. we get about when and where is not our preferences. It is scripture. Right. Now, one other thing, or actually a couple other things on that panel. So they got Resolution 9 just wrong. They misrepresented it. There's women preaching in Beth Moore. And then this term came up that's now getting quite popular in Christian circles called a soft complementarianism. So before I ask your question on that, the traditional definition of complementarian is this. That men and women are made equally the image of God, equally in honor, but are distinct in role. Which means, because they are distinct in role, there are things in the household and in the church that are restricted to men because God designed it that way. And now we're hearing something of a soft complementarianism where women are doing things that are prescribed for men in Scripture. So you hear the term soft complementarianism. What's your reaction to it? It's, it's really difficult because I, I feel like most people who have said, um, especially people who have their own podcasts and whatnot that I listen to, who said, I'm more of a soft complementarianism. They're, they're actually adopting the term. Um, I, I think there's a whole lot of range in there for yeah. what any one given person actually means by it. Typically, though, um, those that I hear using it would mean they would think that it's okay for a woman to address and actually preach the word on a Sunday morning so long as she does that under the authority of the pastor elders. Um, of the church, and I would say that's just wrong. So, my my calling it a soft complementarianism would be j- just first level egalitarianism. You know, I, w- yeah. I would reject that it's complementarity at all. I agree. Um, and and uh, you know, as far as what MacArthur says in his 
Q&A. He's right in saying that the the church is caving into the culture. By and large, what we are seeing in the culture, as far as churches go, is the church is letting uh, the culture define how we ought to be seeing these things. And the church is being very uncomfortable with with, with some of the things that are taught very clearly in the scriptures and maybe how women have been treated in the past. And uh, we've seen some uh, some abuses against women. And we're trying to steer so clear of that that we are going beyond in many ways what the scripture says and we are caving into cultural pressures. And I think that's where this uh, soft complementarianism, yeah. which is really a just a softer egalitarianism, is really coming into play. So the response for Beth Moore, I think, plays this out um, in terms of how even SBC churches are handling this. The, the support that went pouring out for her on Twitter and in social media from some people I highly regard that they were kind of like taken aside, like a Beth Moore versus John MacArthur side. And some of my SBC heroes pouring out support was like, well, guys, though, he was right, though. Like, what she's, she's not supposed to be doing what she's doing. And there seems to be a, a sometimes in our circles, I love my SBC, but John MacArthur's not one of us, right? He's not in the SBC. That there was a rallying around her that made me a little uncomfortable. You're not even on Twitter, though, so you probably didn't see any of that. So, yeah, I I saw it. It made me very uncomfortable. Okay, a couple other things from that panel. Um, Southern Baptist Convention, he started talking about the SBC in the past tense. John McCall, you have another comment on that? Well, you know, you mentioned the the tone earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, So, if Beth Moore is, uh, if she is a godly woman and she's just being led astray by so many cultural forces, and if... Uh, the church by and large in the SBC is caving into culture and making her think that what she's doing is all right. And and she's truly a sister in Christ. If she's truly a sister in Christ who is simply in error, then these guys are way out of line. And, and just without her there, not going to her as a sister and, and seeking to correct this thing and just calling her out as a narcissist. That's what Phil Johnson said. And saying, go home, um, you know, as MacArthur said, without any sort of edification being involved in that, that's just that's way out of line. I agree. Now, if she's not a sister in Christ, if she is a, a wolf who is just leading multitudes after her, then their tone is mild. Like I, I think Jesus would be a lot more harsh. Well, that's a great point. Um, when people are taking a position of authority and leadership in the church, and they're saying, "I speak for God in this, and I've got the right answers," and if they're not truly a, a born again believer, then we have to be even more hard. And and I think just saying "go go home" is is, is mild for that. Yes, you. Something just really resonated with me. The tone I've used for people like Todd White or some of the like the crazy NAR um, and charismatic stuff, I've been pretty harsh. But it's because I so clearly see them as bastardizing scripture. Right. And I don't as clearly see her doing that. And so I heard the tone and was like, uh, chill out, guys. But if she is that of a false teacher, then yeah, that was mild. And so you know, I haven't seen Twitter. I am on Twitter. I will go and look for what you, you said just to be able to read these things. Um, if the defense was coming out of a spirit of wait, guys, your your tone is way too harsh for a for a sister in Christ. Okay, then I would say they're right. Yeah. Okay. Now, if they're defending her because she's part of the organization, that's that's yeah, it's tribal. Yeah, that's, that's not okay. It's really unhealthy. Um, and so I I, I just want to you know, kind of suss that out a little bit. more. Yeah, that's good clarification. Um, so final part of that panel I want to discuss. He uh, John MacArthur, who we love, he's awesome. I've learned so much from him. Uh, started talking about the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, he talked about it in past tense. I can't believe they've even lasted this long as they continue to let the culture just infect SBC churches. Are are you? I'm not seeing that. I mean, we have some problems, but I am not seeing vast infection of secularism in SBC churches. No, that's that's the beauty of the the SBC, uh, as opposed to the other mainline Protestant denominations that he references in the Q and A, is having gone astray 50, 60 years ago. Right. Um, <clears throat> The Southern Baptist Convention churches are a cooperative of churches. Uh, we work together, and yet we're all autonomous. And so it it really is impossible for the direction of a convention that meets once a year um, to direct the actions of 4,000 plus, right. or 40,000, whatever it is, yeah. the number, churches. Uh, 
and and I just I don't see that broad defect, defection to uh, liberalism in mm-hmm. all of the several churches. Even if we're getting that language from a, a few SBC leaders, that does not mean that that is filtering over into all of the SBC churches. And in, in fact, I, I see a very healthy level of debate mm-hmm. um, in all of the uh, communities on Facebook and other social media that I'm a part of where I'm, com- I'm, I'm in contact with other pastors where there's, where there's give and take and push back on some of these things. So I think there's there's very healthy uh, sufficiency of Scripture and yes. uh, Christ above all things, the gospel above all things uh, in the SBC. So I'm only lately encouraged, even even though there are things there mm-hmm. that do give me pause, um, I'm still encouraged. Overall, overall health has been yeah. great. We have been talking with the pastor of Beechwood Church uh, over in Greenville. We'd love to have you on 1030 Sunday mornings. His name is Doug Truax. I'm, gonna tr- I'm going to summarize our discussion. If you want to add anything else, you let me know. So John MacArthur, Phil Johnson, and Todd Friel got together, guys we love, and said that the SBC voted for Resolution 9, which means we're bringing in critical race theory and intersectionality, and they were just wrong. They read it wrong, and uh, we, we corrected it with, uh, with gentleness here. Number two, uh, Beth Moore is a woman preacher who preaches to men too, and she needs to quit, uh, but in John MacArthur's tone, might have been problematic unless they actually see her as a false teacher. Uh, and then finally, the SBC has its issues, but overall, it's quite healthy. I think that summarizes our good discussion. Anything else you would add, sir? You got nothing. Then thank you for doing this. Very, appreciate it very much. Absolutely. If you would, again, beachwood.cc, beachwood.cc, you are invited any given Sunday morning, 1030, between Greenville and Easley. We're right there on 123. We'd love to have you. I'll be back with some non-theology stuff. I want to talk about Elijah Cummings passing and some of the things we can learn there. And I saw a study this week, made me so sad, uh, that the suicide rate for young people is skyrocketing. I want to talk about that, too. We'll do that and more when you come back for the rest of the Corey Truax Show. I have a very interesting question for you. Do you want to win a $50 Amazon gift card? Because I'm going to give one away. When I say I, I do mean me, the Corey Truax Show. This is not an ad for someone else. This is an ad for me. I had this idea where I'm going to give one out to one of you. Here's what you have to do to enter to win. Go review and rate my show. I have talked with the experts. That is apparently how this is going to grow. I've got to get organic people, real people, to go review the show, say they like it, and give it high reviews. So if you listen on iTunes, go take the time to do it. Um, It might take you 10 minutes to figure out how to do it, but go review it. Wherever you listen, go review, and then send me a screenshot. Just take a picture on your computer, screenshot on your phone, Email it to me at CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. You can instant message or direct message me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, wherever. Send me a screenshot of what you did. Guys, this isn't even friends and family excluded. This is everybody. This is all hands on deck. Go review the show. Once I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to do this for a month. I'll call it four weeks from now. I'm going to take all of them, all the names of the people who sent me their screenshots, put them in a big bowl. We're going to pick one. I'm going to send you a $50 Amazon gift card. So that's money in your pocket to go spend on whatever so go do it. Please go review the Corey Truax show. You're probably going to hear an advertisement now for Anchor. And then after that, back to the show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax show. Thank you for sticking with us. If you would be so kind, connect to the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You'll find me there. And if you would tell someone about the show, there's two things that happen there. You know what? I'm going to make it three things. I'm going to make make one up. One, as I've said previously, every time you tell someone about the show, an angel gets its wings, despite the fact that theologically most angels don't have wings. Number two, it makes me very happy. It's, also, it's very self-affirming. Like you would do me a big favor, and you're also going to make someone's life better. If you tell someone about the show and they begin to listen, they'll be more a more enlightened and more interesting person. And so if you would tell someone about it, that would be helpful. Something occurred to me that I posted the story that Doug and I just talked about. Doug and I just talked about this thing with John MacArthur and Beth Moore and women preachers and all that. I posted it to Facebook, and there were a lot of comments. I have gotten to a space where I really read almost no comments, and I almost never, I'm talking like two or three times a year, I'll respond to a comment on Facebook. You know, I've had people in the media, the, the industry, they've told me, if you really want to grow, man, you've really got to get more active on social media. you got to respond to all these 
respond to people who disagree with you, especially. Like, you got to do all that. I don't want to. Plus, I have time. I don't have time. I don't have time to do all that. I've got, I've got to, I have other things to do besides argue with strangers on the internet. And moreover, it would almost make me very hypocritical because one of my main messages to you is, hey, stop arguing with strangers on the internet. It's not a good, it's not a good use of your time. Why don't you go spend some time with your spouse? Hug your kid. Read a book. Learn something. Don't, don't argue with a stranger on the internet, specifically because it, the, the, the keyboard makes everyone so brave. I think I have the integrity to say my behavior on the internet is my behavior in person. So if I say something aggressive behind the keyboard, I would have been that aggressive in person because there are some times where that's totally appropriate uh, for in any, in any event. I don't even know how I got there about, oh yeah, the responses on Facebook. I posted that story and a, I did skim through some of the comments and I wanted to respond to one yeah, I'll just say it. It's just really intellectually immature. It's it's kind of dumb. There's no there's no deep thought to it. And so I, I want to respond to that. One person just commented, "Explain Rahab." Okay. Like the, the lack of intellectual depth on that argument regarding women preachers and women pastors and elders. It's really kind of sad that that someone thinks all right, I, I won. I said two words. Explain Rahab. All right, I win. There was a, those of you that don't know, no, he didn't say Rahab. He said, oh, I shouldn't have said Rahab. He said, explain Deborah. Explain Deborah. In the book of Judges, you will find that one of the 13, I think there were 13 judges total. So the judges you've heard of, like the famous ones, that's Samson, it's Gideon. Those are the ones that you've heard their stories I've uh, tried. Maybe you haven't heard the one, the story of Ehud. It's kind of gross, but there's 13 judges, and one of them is Deborah. She becomes a leader in Israel, a governmental leader in Israel. She teams up with a guy named Barak, and they take down one of the oppressors of Israel together. And so, th- the idea of bringing up Deborah is supposed to be dispositive towards anyone who would say a, a woman doesn't have the role of elder or an elder in the church, a leader in the church, an overseer of the church. Because Deborah was a governmental leader in Israel, so it's dispositive, I win. It's the same thing that I get frustrated with athe- when atheists do. Uh, like they, they feel like when they get to the word shellfish, they won. Shellfish, I win. Mixed fiber clothing, I win. See that thing in the Old Testament where you're not supposed to eat shellfish, and you eat shellfish, and you're not supposed to wear mixed, mixed fiber clothing, and you wear it, so I win, I win, I win. And so it's, and now folk, folks on my side do the same thing. Like There's a lot of immature arguments out there that, that take no nuance, they're very childish. It's, there's a lot of stupidity out there on every side. But one of the, the dumb things that come out here is, well, what about Deborah? Well, a few things here. So Deborah gets to be a judge, a leader in Israel in the book of Judges. So why doesn't that mean that a woman can have every position that a man can in the church? Why can't they be an elder? One, Judges is a book, primarily, about how terrible Israel is behaving. It's about one big cycle. It's about how Israel would be unfaithful to God. God would punish them with an oppressor. An oppressive people would take them over. An oppressive government or kingdom would take them over. The people would suffer for usually decades. They would re- they would repent or a judge would rise up to call them to repentance and God would use that judge to free them. And then guess what they would do? After a little while of being free, they start misbehaving again and being unfaithful. And that whole cycle would continue over and over and over again. And so it's a time when Israel is almost at its worst. It's you know, The governance of Israel was Moses in the wilderness, and it goes to Joshua. From Joshua you get to, uh, well, I guess after Joshua, you, you fall into the time of the judges. And then you, you know, what what comes out of the judges is King Saul, then David, then Solomon, and then the divided kingdoms. But during this time in Israel, those are the leaders. Deborah being chosen as one during that time is actually one of the judgments. It's, it's a sign of that judgment of here's, all the, here's this people with no men who will stand up and do what they're supposed to, so much so that God is going to use this woman to partly lead for a while. So that's one. It was actually part of the judgment that God used a woman instead of men being ready to do what they were supposed to do. Number two, 
being a governmental leader in Israel is not being the overseer and leader of a church. Those are two different offices. This is what the New Testament gives us in First Timothy and several other places, is that the pastor, the elder of a local body, is a man. This has also been modeled, like that's that's been modeled throughout the storylines and the design patterns of the Bible when it comes from, from Adam, yeah, really Adam all the way through the New Testament. And so that Deborah argument, just a really bad one. And then the other one I always want to make sure we have uh, in, in mind, nothing matters less than our preferences. So, some folks just think, well, I, I kind of like it. I like it when a, when a woman is pastor. Okay, well... We don't get to do the things we like. We get to do the things the Bible says. If we're, if we're a Christian, if we're Christians, if we're not Christians, I don't know why you're thinking about the Bible at all, anyway, or why you're worried about what it says uh, in terms of how churches are governed. So that'll that'll clear off that uh, that topic. Uh, I would suspect in this in this environment, in this uh, listenership, there's, there might be some disagreement on that. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. If you want clarification, if you think I was just too harsh. Uh, if you want to disagree and you want to give me your best your best argument, I am open to that at CoreyTruexShow at gmail.com. You can also use the Anchor app on your smartphone and leave me a voicemail or leave a message on Marco Polo, and you can make those comments as well. If you do make a comment on Marco Polo or Anchor, do your best to keep it under a minute. Do, do, your, do your best for that if, if you want it on the air. If you don't want it on the air, that's fine too. All right, what did I want to do when we came back? Oh, yeah, last week. The United States lost a congressman from Baltimore named Elijah Cummings. There's been a great deal of, uh, who's a Democrat, by the way, really far left, progressive Democrat from Baltimore, passed away at the age of 68, which, by the way, is mind-blowing to me. I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm basically 68. I'm 33. I'm halfway there. 68 is much too early to be dying in the Western world. That's part of what's made me sad about it, is that's too early. That's not old enough to die. We're in a spot now where... Life expectancy is, is it? I think it is around eighty for men, or late late seventies for men. Like sixty eight's just way too early to be dying. And there's been an outpouring of support for his family, and for the most part, the public facing reaction has been good. However, what I'm about to bring up, conservative media, people like me, but people with much bigger platforms than I have, they've done a decent job at talking about this, but I think there's one more layer that needs to be discussed. When when he died, when Congressman Cummings died, there were headlines from places like the Washington Post, the New York Times, very large mainstream media organizations. I'll give you the one from the Washington Post because I have it in front of me. It's that uh, representative, or excuse me, Congressman Cummings... Re- uh, uh, I, lost, I lost the tab. I was going to try to do it from uh, memory. It says something like, Congressman Cummings, often a target of Trump or target of the Trump administration, passes away. And it's so insulting. This is the part the conservative media got right. Like, here's a man who was part of the, the civil rights movement in Baltimore. That's one of those northeastern cities that did really have a problem in the civil rights integration. A guy who had a long career in Congress, who's also a husband and a father and a grandfather. And of all the things you choose to say about him and highlight, it's that Trump criticized him a lot. You defined a man in his 68 years by his relationship to a guy who spent most of his life putting his names on buildings that he didn't build and hosted a TV show. That's insulting to Elijah Cummings. And so the conservative media did a great job of saying, can you all stop defining people by their relationship to this guy? He's one guy. He's the president of the United States. He's either going to be the president for a couple more years or then a more, maybe a few more years after that. And then thank God in heaven we can all think, forget about him forever. To, de- to define ourselves or to define anybody in relation to this president is an emotionally unhealthy thing, and conservative media did a good job of calling that out. But there's one more step beneath that where we need to go. Yes, the New York Times, Washington Post did that to Elijah Cummings, but that is also a behavior of the rank-and-file American much too often. I think I've told you the story on the show before. There was a woman I saw uh, back during the 
governor, she's on Facebook, uh, during the governor's race here in South Carolina between Henry McMaster and John Warren. And a woman I know posted on Facebook that she was supporting John Warren, and the first comment underneath that post was, does he support our president? And I was so frustrated by it. So we got a guy running for state office. He wants to run this, the the executive branch of the state government in South Carolina. We're going to talk about schools and taxes and creating a good economic atmosphere for business growth. And the thing you want to know is he is a supporter. I don't, even know, I don't even know what that means. Is he a supporter of the guy who hosted The Apprentice a decade ago? That's insane. It's emotionally stunted. And then we judge each other by that too. We judge each other by, what's your relationship to this person who's been president for a little while? Who came onto the scene in 2015, 2016, whenever it was. Who cares? Why do we care so much about this guy? And so that deeper level is, we would all do well. to pay Do your American duty. Pay attention. Pay attention to the news. Pay attention to what's going on around you. But you don't have to care so much about that guy. You don't have to let him dominate your emotions and dominate your life. There's, there's stuff going on in Congress right now. Maybe we'll, there, there might be some things happening with him. I, I have been, I've already predicted, I, I assume he's going to be impeached, but then I think he's going to be acquitted. So they'll make the impeachment, it'll go to the Senate, and it'll, it'll die there. But it's, just this, it's not just the, the media. I'll, too many Americans do that too. Like I'd even dare you to do this, because I think, I think a, lot, a lot of you, not, not, not all of you in this listenership, but a lot of you, you you care way too much about what's happening in the government. There's just way too much other stuff to care about. Like, I dare you to do this. Turn it off. One week. Turn it off. Stop watching Fox. It's making you dumber. It is. It's making you a less thoughtful person. Stop watching MSNBC and CNN. Stop. They're not there to make you smarter. They're not there to educate you. They're not there to make you a more insightful person. They are making you dumber. Stop. I dare you. One week. Turn it off. I mean, I, I I had somebody here recently ask me about something going on in the political world because they assume I know all the political stuff because I used to, and I really had no idea what they're talking about. Like I, I remember looking at them like I, I I do not know the story to which you are referring, and that felt so good. Well, oh, Corey, but you you seem so ignorant that you didn't know. How how does that feel good? Because uh, I know that everyone's going to forget about it in just like two more days, and a new thing will take over the news cycle. So I'm going to care about things that are going to matter a trillion years from now, much more than I care about a thing that's going to matter a year from now. And this Elijah Cummings episode did a good job of revealing how off all of our priorities have gotten. So take that as a challenge and something of an encouragement. When we come back, Hillary Clinton sure is being weird. She's saying some weird things about... Tulsi Gabbard out there this, uh, as one of the Democratic candidates. Plus, I do have that study on youth suicide rates I want to give to you. We'll do that as much and as much more as we can. I don't think that's a sentence. As much more as we can. We're going to do a lot. My point is I'm going to do as much as I possibly can. When we come back from this break, this final break for this week's Corey Truax Show. Hey, one more time. That thing I said earlier, I meant it. I need you to go review the show and give it high ratings. I have enough listeners that if, you, if like 25% of you will go do this thing, you're going to see the show grow. That would make me very happy. And so go review it. And what do I get out of it? What do you get out of it? I should have said. Well, maybe 50 bucks possibly to go spend at Amazon. So go review the show, rate the show, send me a screenshot. All right, I'll stop talking about this for this episode. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to the Corey Truax Show. Glad to have you here. Thank you for sticking around on a a show that has been various and sundry in its topics. Let's start here. Hillary Clinton was on a, doing some was doing some interviews recently. You probably heard this, and she was on David Pluff. I think his name was Pluff. He was one of Obama's main campaign guys. Like he he was a strategist for the Obama people. She went on his podcast. Because now everyone has a podcast. I got to run a rabbit trail. Give me one second. Guys, I have had a radio show now for four years. I've had a podcast for four years. I was listening to podcasts the last, I think, I think I'm on year 
eight or no, no, no. I'm on your nine of being a regular podcast listeners. I've been telling people about podcasts for that long. Like I'm an OG. I'm an original on podcasting. And then I saw a meme here recently that said of of millennials, like we millennials, we can we can never invite you over to our homes because we don't have them, but we can always invite you as a guest on our podcast. And I I laughed so hard because first I, I am technically a millennial, but and that's so uh, it's so untrue of me because I do have a home to invite people into. I I did the the smart thing I think in my early twenties and bought a house, um, but it does seem like everyone has a podcast now. No one like. I'm almost surprised when I meet someone 35 and under who's who doesn't have a podcast, who doesn't have one now. And it's, it's just obnoxious because like, hey, I know it wasn't my idea, but I was an early adopter and now everybody has one. And someone who has one is this David Pluff character, one of Obama's people. Hillary Clinton is talking about the 2020 election with Pluff and she says... That they, it's a, it's a disembodied they, we don't really know who they is, but some powers that be, and she does end up mentioning the Russians eventually, They uh, that they are going to need a third candidate, a third party candidate, to, to, to make sure that Trump wins. And then she points out Tulsi Gabbard. She specifically mentions Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii as a Russian favorite, and that they're already grooming her to come out as a third party candidate to to draw votes away from whoever wins up winning the Democratic nomination. Elizabeth Warren is probably who that's going to be in the end. And then she she mentioned even Jill Stein, who was the Green Party candidate in 2016, as that Russian favorite last time, like pushing a third-party candidate to weaken the Democratic Party. There is no evidence of this. It is stuff that... It's stuff that people need to not, like, especially powerful people with, with significant voices like Hillary Clinton, need to not do. The The same way that it was not good when Donald Trump was talking about Barack Obama's birth certificate, when he was advancing that sh- very stupid conspiracy theory, that wasn't good. This is also not good to advance a conspiracy theory about the Russians trying to get a third-party candidate in. And it... it I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but she does seem to be, she seems to be in a spot where I would want people in her family to go, you know, Hill, maybe come on home. Maybe let's stop doing media. You've had an incredible life. You've achieved a lot. I mean, you you won the popular vote by three. You're, you're the first woman ever to win a national popular vote in American history for president. Just be proud of what you've accomplished. Let's get you away from the microphones. You're starting to say some weird stuff. She she said here recently. Uh, who that was over that was overseas. She was doing an interview with a uh, with an organization overseas and said they were asking her about about maybe running again. And she said, "Yeah, I can. Uh, I should run again because I can beat him again." And it's a cute little phrase, I guess. Right, because she did beat him. Right, she beat him in the popular vote, but she obviously didn't win. Win, and so it's just a weird thing to say. It's not. It's it's probably time for her to to just pack it up. There's just no reason to be doing that. Uh, to, to be doing all of that out there. Okay. Um. So that's Hillary Clinton. She's getting weird on the conspiracy theories, and she needs to stop. There's two more stories I wanted to get to. Uh, let's save. You know, let's save that one for last. Yeah. Before we do that last. Let's do the one that I know will get some people upset at me. Because I love that. It's my favorite hobby, right? Getting people upset with me. The story in Dallas. Uh, That was Fort Worth, sorry. In Fort Worth, there's a story of a cop. He's been charged with murder. Probably should be charged with manslaughter. I don't like the murder uh, charge. Don't confuse this with what happened here recently with the woman in Dallas. So there was the woman in Dallas who uh, went into... Botham, Botham John. He went to. She went into Botham John's apartment. She thought it was her apartment. She shot Botham John, uh, or Botham John, however you pronounce it. It went sort of viral because uh, the 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 brother of Botham John did the whole thing about how he how she forgave her, how he forgave her, the woman who murdered or killed his his brother, and he and it was really awesome. It was, it was an incredible picture of gospel forgiveness and. And it was about reconciliation. It was awesome what happened with with her. 
even though it was it was around a tragedy and she's going to be in prison for for years. Uh, she they convicted her of murder, but then basically gave her the the penalty for manslaughter. And manslaughter is the more accurate term. Murder requires a premeditation. Like she accidentally killed him, but she did kill him. And so you got you you're going to prison. I would say maybe forever, and that's just called manslaughter. So there now there's a story out of Fort, uh, Fort Worth where some cops were responding to a report of a uh, open structure. That's the call on the police lingo. It's an open structure, which usually means there's a, a suspected burglary. So you know, proceed with caution, but you're going to go look into this. So some neighbor calls and says there's an open door, and so the cops come. There, as the cops are going in the backyard of this open structure, one of them sees a woman who was there with her own, uh, I think it's nephew. She was playing video games with a nephew. And she wants, obviously, the, I need you to imagine being this woman. She doesn't know cops have been called. No cops have said anything like, you know, police, hands up. or They haven't, identifi- haven't identified themselves. She just sees a man in the backyard with a gun. There is some, there are some reports now that she might have been she might have had a gun as well, but she of course she should. Ladies, listen to me. If you think there's a man in your backyard, you don't know who that man is, and there's a gun in your house, you need to get that gun. Okay, you need you need to defend yourself. And when this man this this cop who doesn't identify himself sees this woman, he, he apparently tells her to. But you know, to get, put her hands up. But again, he's he's not identified himself as a cop. She doesn't do it. He shoots her and he kills her. And of course, he should be charged with manslaughter or murder, and he should go to prison. I say forever, or something. Cl- if it's not forever, it should be decades and decades. And I've been disappointed by my fellow Americans, especially on my own political side, on our reaction to this. The uh, the there seems to be on the American political right, the thought that cops' lives matter more than everyone else's. Like, I, I, I was seeing on Twitter, people on my side, as it were, saying, well, you know, she should, she should obey the orders. Like, first of all, he didn't identify himself, but even if he did, so she should obey the order when she's in her own house not doing anything wrong from a cop who's out, like, she doesn't even know it's a cop, she just obey the order. And then I kept see, I kept seeing the the theme that well you know cop, cops know that uh, their their lives are in danger every time they they walk out there and so they can't take a risk. I'm just gonna say it. You need to take the risk. And gentlemen, ladies who are cops, if you're not ready to do that, you just need to do something else. You need to pick a new job, or you need to be a cop who's never in the field because you feeling endangered and then your reaction to feeling endangered is to kill someone you're you don't need to be you don't need to be a leader among us and there's folks on the right that seem like that's that's an absurd thing for me to say but that's the the morally correct thing is that this this cop is not better than us because they went to the academy their job is actually to protect and serve and we've sort of taught them if you feel threatened, then deadly force is one of the things you can go to. And if we need to, we need to change that, that thinking, but we also just need to go ahead and say to say to our cops, if you are not comfortable with the, with the, the, with the idea that you might actually have to take the risk and not, and not kill someone that might actually have be a threat to you, you need to go do something else. And for that purpose, we need to. We also need to pay cops more. We need to compensate them better because what we're asking them to do is hard. But right now, we got the whole thing out of out of kilter, where we we're telling cops carte blanche: if you feel threatened, do what you have to do to defend yourself. Even if that includes killing someone, then we need to defend you after you've killed someone. No, I'm not defending you. I appreciate the the service, but that's what you're doing. Once you've decided to serve, you are now put you're now putting your life on the line. You don't have to do that. You can go get another job. But if this is what you want to do, one of the responsibilities you take upon yourself is that there's some risk to it. 
and you're going to have to not start shooting when you feel threatened. And of course, this is not all cops. There's actually very few cops. But the ones that... But this needs to be a change in culture as well, that we stop thinking about cops like they should like they should take their own lives as more important than the regular citizen. Their job is to protect and serve the citizens, not protect themselves first. That sounds harsh, maybe, but that's true. All right, final thing. And I'm almost out of time to talk about it. I saw a study this week that showed that the, te- the youth suicide rate, so I think it was 25 and under, it's, it's just gone crazy. It's, like a, it's up over almost 50% over the last decade or so. And it really hit me. Hit me for two reasons. One is the is the obvious tragedy around that. That that's sad. It's a sad reality that we have young people at the time where we for a lot of us when we were that age, we almost had an irrational hopefulness. An, no reason to be so hopeful and optimistic about life. That when when I felt that way at that age, that there are that many of that age group feeling hopeless. And it's just telling me so much about our broken world. And we could talk about all the causes, the broken homes, and the what the internet does through social media. I would say even through what pornography does, what the video games do. There's so much tragedy there, but maybe this is what got me the most. Here, here, we, here I sit. I don't know not all of my listeners are Christians, but if you're listening, you know that I am. And here we are, believers. We are the people with the message of hope. We're the people with the message of redemption. We are the people with the message of acceptance, full acceptance through Christ. We have a message for young people that can turn their world upside down for the better. And we, I'm including me, we just don't talk about it enough. We got a world that's hurting and crushed. And we have a message of hope that we are keeping to ourselves. Let the stark reality of a skyrocketing suicide rate amongst our youth be a challenge to us to stop keeping it to ourselves. Thank you for listening to the Corey Truax Show. I am grateful. If you would be so kind to, wherever you listen to the show, if it's not on the radio, on his radio talk, if you would find the show on that, podcasting app and review it and rate it. It helps other people find the show. I'd be grateful if you do that. Heath will be back next week for our sports segment. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.